Don't miss the magic and the men behind Talking Tricks with Cain and Abel live. We'll be at the following places. May the 31st, we'll be returning to the Brighton Fringe Festival and then for the whole of that long weekend, we're there on June the 1st and June the 2nd. June the 14th, we'll be in Hastings. June the 26th to the 30th, we'll be performing at the Glastonbury Festival. And July the 26th to the 28th, we'll be at Kendall Calling. And then for the whole of August, will be the Edinburgh Fringe Festival with two shows daily, Split Egg, a magic show about being twins, and the two magicians. Go to www.caneandablemagic.com for more. You're listening to Talking Tricks, the home of amazing stories from magic, circus, variety, and comedy performers. Welcome to Talking Tricks, a podcast with us, Cain and Abel, two magicians with the exact same voice. voice. <laughs> and hello and welcome to Talking Tricks, a podcast with us, Cain and Abel, two <laughs> magicians with the exact same voice. We messed up our bit there. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> we messed up our bit. Well, welcome to Talking Tricks and welcome to the first ever Talking Tricks with four voices. A four-hander. It's a four-hander. An eight-hander. It's an eight-hander. Eight-hander. There's eight hands around the coffee table, and coming up, we are going to be discussing the most influential animals in magic. But before we do that, we need to find out who is discussing the most influential animals in magic. And you may have recognised some of those voices from before. I'm going to go to the man to my left, joining us now. <laughs> oh, he's still playing. <laughs> joining us now is, is Neil Kelso. Yay, hello. My name is Neil Kelso. Now, Neil, for people that haven't listened to the Neil Kelso episode, and of course, Harry, the Harry Houdini seance, uh, yes. Neil, tell them very quickly, who are you? I'm Neil Kelso. I'm a magician, and I mostly do cabaret things and theatre things, and sometimes music things, and other things. I do quite a lot of things. I'm Neil Kelso. Neil Kelso. And also joining us is, he is a well-known comedian. You would have seen him on Live at the Apollo. You would have seen him on Michael McIntyre's Roadshow. No, no, you... I'm, not, I'm not that one. I'm not that one. Oh, you're a which Mark Watson are you? Oh, I'm 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 Mark Watson, the man of mischief. So I'm the magician juggler. Uh, I I do do a bit of comedy, but I'm just not I'm not that Mark Watson that you. You're not okay. I know it's it's confusing, but hey, it might draw a few more listeners to the the podcast. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, we're joined by Mark Watson, and we're also joined by well, Ed Cade's here as well. Do you want to say hi, Ed? Particularly. <laughs> good. Who am I saying hello to? The listener. The listener. The listener. The one listener we've got. Yeah. Hello, mother. <laughs> Hello, father. <laughs> Dad doesn't listen. Don't be silly. Well, we are joined here by these lovely people to discuss the most influential animals in magic. So, each of the people here today have drawn up a list. A list of the most influential animals in magic. We're going to go around, we're going to chat about them, and hopefully you'll learn a lot about influential animals in magic. How many more times will he say it? today. I don't know. So I'm going to go to the man to my left, Neil Kelso. You've drawn up a list, I hope. <laughs> Who is top of your list? The most influential animal in magic? Well, um, oh, oh dear. So I haven't drawn up a list because, so I'm not going to do the moral high ground because I'm not a vegan and I'm not very good at ethical shopping and things. But whenever there's an animal in magic, I... I'm not watching magic, I'm watching an animal. Like if I'm on the tube and a puppy gets on, 
I forget all the people are there and the tube train is there and it's just me and that puppy in my head and everything else blurred. This might just be my experience. So instead, I've prepared a list of animals that I really like. <laughs> <laughs> and number one on that list is otters. Oh, oh what do you like about otters? They're fun and nice and playful and they've got little hands and they hold hands when they're sleeping. It's they're sweet. Otters are great. So that's... And they're magical. They are magical. They're real magic. Animals are real magic. So, yeah. And how, how would we get an otter into a magic trick? Um, I would give them the opportunity to do it in their natural habitat if they so choose. Like, you maybe... In fact, we're here with a juggler. You must have seen otters juggling. Yes, I have. There yeah, you go. Some great YouTube videos exactly. on Exactly. Otters juggling. So I reckon if we maybe just supplied small hats and <laughs> waterproof cards, perhaps a blindfold... They might, if they chose to do it, and they, it might be quite good. So that's how I'd get otters into magic. Maybe kind of, maybe those books or something. I don't know. Really, or, or just go to a lecture in the woods by, by some water. A gentle coaxing. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think they should choose to be part of it. It's interesting that your starting point for getting otters into magic is the hats. Yeah. <laughs> that's their biggest concern. I, that's what got me into magic. <laughs> they have a little pouch though, don't they, otters? Yeah, it's kangaroos. No, otters have them as well. <laughs> oh, they've, really? they've got a little pouch. An otter's pocket. And they keep stones in them. For juggling. They're, they're the and only animal things. in They'd the world. They'd be great at Gazzo's Cups and Balls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the reason for them. You're giving away their secrets. You're not supposed <laughs> yeah. to know about the stones. Those oh, are those secret stones. Spoiler. But no, they're the only animal in the world that carries around tools. Like a human does, and they use stones like a, like too. a close-up magician. Yeah, like they've a big got, melon. They've got, <laughs> they've got a big melon carrier. Pockets full of melons. <laughs> Great. Why have they got the stones in their pockets to break things when they need to? Oh. But yeah, for like, generally like for doing work and stuff. They like smash shells and have a little munch. But when they find a good stone, they keep it for the rest of their life. Put it in their little pouch. I'll juggle with this later. <laughs> <laughs> if I find another two just like this, for <laughs> the same weight. Well, coming up, we're going to find out about Neil Kelso's other top four animals. Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> but we'll go to Mark Watson, not well-known household comedian Mark Watson, juggler and magician Mark Watson. Who's top of your list of the most influential animals in magic? Uh, I'm going to go for... Uh, goldfish, in particular, the goldfish that Matt King uses during his show that he plucks out of thin air using a fishing rod. Because I think I think that routine has been on so many television programs. I think it's one of his certainly most famous pieces of magic, um, and I love it. I think it's great, and 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 it's the it's the way he gets the audience to think. Oh, he's just being silly, and he's getting little carrot strips. He even explains like he makes little carrot strips, and either there's the fact that he's producing actual goldfish from his mouth and from thin air, and. I, I think that's incredible. It's a very good trick, mm. isn't it? Do we feel sorry for the goldfish, though? Because does he swallow the goldfish at one point? He just brings it up, doesn't he? Uh, regurgitates it. Well, yeah. No, he doesn't. Does he throw it out of his hand? He does regurgitate it. The, there, is one, there is one that comes out of the mouth. I don't know if the method actually involves regurgitation. I know if, you, if you're lucky enough to hear him in conversation, like he was at the session convention in January, he, he's talked about before about accidentally swallowing. swallowing one and then having to be sick on stage um, which he covered for quite well by the sounds of it but um, but then behind his box on stage he has got a goldfish covered in puke in a, in a box and it's like oh I've got to pluck that out but I think he's got a bunch of backup fish as well yeah it can't be a nice it but we're presuming nice... it only ever goes in his mouth what do you I'm presume so? I'm presuming it only ever goes in his mouth yes. and a small little 
you know what I... Oh, you're gesturing one at me. You're gesturing well. at me without exposing it. You think it goes in one of those okay. as well. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I don't think I don't think it's supposed to be ingested or anything like that. Um, Stevie are, Star does a similar thing. Yeah, exactly. There are people that do that, but does Stevie Stevie Star does swallow his though, doesn't he? Because he swallows those snooker balls. I, yeah, I believe but, so. I believe so. But then again, you don't know with even with a regurgitator, you don't know how much of that is trickery and yeah. You know, he genuinely can regurgitate, obviously, but some of those things aren't what they appear. This is dangerously close to exposure, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? We like to get as close to exposure as possible. <laughs> is that why we're here in a sauna? Yeah. <laughs> That's why we're here. Put your clothes back on. Thanks. <laughs> Are you a member of the Magic Circle, Mark Watson? Well, I am for the minute. I might not be after this. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a risk you're taking. Neil Kelso is obviously a member of the Magic I'm, Circle. Am I obviously a member of the Magic Circle? Well, you were the first one to get concerned about exposure. Oh, was I? Was. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bit chilly. Can we, can we put some more water on the cold? <laughs> uh, Ed Kane, who's top of your list? Animals used in magic tricks. Yeah. I'll take the big one. Take, take the big one. Because then it's out of the way, isn't it? Go on. I'm going to have Monty Claude. Monty Core. Monty Core. Monty Core. Who is Monty Claude? Core. Is it Core? It's, it's Core, yeah. Monty Core. Monty Core. Famous for being the tiger that accidentally took a little bite at Roy. <laughs> well, yeah, he meant to take a bite, didn't he? No. Well, the rumour is, here's, here's a rumour that I like to believe. This Tell is the what... story for people that don't know it, Kane. Because there'll be people listening. That so, like... Siegfried and Roy, famous Las Vegas magicians, been on The Simpsons a few times, which is kind of what we all aim for, isn't it? I mean, has anyone really been on The Simpsons? I mean, you don't... You Their voices have been on. That's as fair. much as you're on this podcast. <laughs> Good point. Well, no, Siegfried and Roy have been on The Simpsons. But I think that's the aim in life, isn't it? Once you're on The Simpsons, Simpsons, you know you've really made it. I think you've made it. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good mark of... And they've been on at least twice. Maybe even more times than that. So I'm sure we all know Siegfried and Roy is famous magician. She used to use all the animals. Mm. Elephants, tigers, lions. Cheetah. Cheetah. Cheetah was the first one, wasn't it? What Roy smuggled in his puma in his bag. On his cruise ship. On yeah. the cruise right. ship. And yeah. they met and he was like, Oh, you've got a cheetah. Do you want to be in my act? The equivalent of a boob job. <laughs> <laughs> you've got big knockers. Would you like to be my assistant? You've got a cheetah. Would you like to be my assistant? Yeah. Yeah. Elephant? They yeah. used an elephant, I said that was the first one I said. Uh, okay. Elephant. Yeah. Um, yeah, but then, obviously, they don't perform anymore because there was an incident that occurred, which, obviously, this is a risky take, working with wild animals, when uh, Monty Cor had a little maul at him and yeah. carried him off stage. He carried the him off stage. The rumour was, Sieg I think Siegfried said that he was trying to protect him and was carrying him away as if he was a cub. But obviously cubs have great big mm. bits of neck. I'm symboling again at you, Neil. Yeah. Neck. Yeah, Neil knows what's this going is a, on. This is a mime of... <laughs> mime, mime over the airways. A scruff. They have a, they scruff have a big scruff mm. that you can just pick up in your teeth. But poor old Roy, no scruff. Mm. He had a little fall, didn't he, on the stage, and Monty Cor carried him off because he was protecting him. And I believe it happened well, on October the 3rd, 2003. 
Oh God, you're <laughs> such a square! Look at you with all your facts written down. At the uh, uh, Mirage in uh, in Las Vegas, yeah, and that was it. They haven't performed since, have they? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is always the argument to say I, I, I'd kind of go along with if if the Tiger did want to kill Roy, then he wouldn't have done that particular action and that particular you know they they could have gone for them any time, but there is also an element of is that just a PR thing to make it sound better than that Tiger was actually not happy and uh, there was an article came out recently from the the Tiger no no <laughs> well, the Tiger died quite recently the ti- well it, the Tiger died almost uh, just over a year ago died on March mm. the nineteenth mm. but the the two thousand and eighteen and when did the attack happen two thousand and three so he had a good innings he had he? fifteen years after okay. but I think an article came out recently from the trainer who had stayed quiet this whole time and sort of came out and again I'm not, I'm not sure how specific he was as to but I, th- I think he was maybe worried about the Tigers or what they might have done or yeah that definitely came out recently that yeah. some of the people working thought that safeguards weren't necessarily respected but I, again it's another person say I think the problem's further upstream of like why is there a tiger on a stage in Las Vegas which is in the desert it's not where they're happiest. But they did do some work of conservation, of keeping yeah. rare endangered things alive. They've, they've got dolphins, haven't they? In, in the Mirage, they're still there now. They mm. keep dolphins. Yeah. Which apparently live much longer than they would in the wild. But then they thing, are uh, still in tiny little spaces, aren't they? This is quite often said about magicians with doves. Like, doves live for, like, 20 years or something. Mm. But is it a happy life? I don't know. I mean, is a long life a good thing for an animal, necessarily? I, I mean, know. if someone said to me, Siegfried and Roy are going to look after you now, and instead of dying at 85, you're going to live until 134. But you continue to get decrepit and angry. Mm. Do I want to spend... <laughs> or if, if someone went... myself? Did you hear about that magician? He's kept his grandmother alive until 300 everyone would be a little bit like, maybe we should go check on the grandmother. Yeah. And I'm not sure that the animals were consulted in whether they <laughs> became part of the troop. I don't think they necessarily got much choice in it. But they do have to sign non-disclosure agreements. <laughs> Which is probably why their book hasn't come out yet. <laughs> a painted paw. <laughs> <laughs> well, Monty Core is definitely, I would say, one of the most iconic animals from I the world. I would say influential, you're right. I will concede that actually these animals have indeed been influential in shaping the way people see magic, good or bad. Mm, yeah. Notorious. Yeah. He was on my list. Someone else on my list is uh, Webster the Duck. Ah, uh, yeah. Now, who... I was going to draw a picture of Webster. I should have done that one. We can put that out on the social media. Well, no, I was going to draw it to you three and see if you could guess who it was. Uh, okay. yet, yet more gold podcast material. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very visual. <laughs> Webster the Duck is, of course, David Copperfield's duck, mm. who used to come out of boxes and stuff like that. But Just now... the one duck? I'm going for the one duck that okay. David Copperfield... Because David Copperfield says he's got one duck, and if there's one thing we know, don't cross Copperfield. I believe he's only got one duck, and he's called Webster. Um, but in his show now, he just walks across the stage, doesn't he? Yeah, he just comes on, and he just plays, Come on, baby, let me see your shaky tail feather. He just walks from one side to the other. Great. And that's it. That w- You could actually play that song at this moment. Really. I could play that song <laughs> at this moment. <laughs> yeah, so Webster's on my list. Neil Kelso, 
Who's your next? <laughs> well, What's your next top animal? <laughs> well, I have a duck in my show. I have the only officially endorsed by Peter for the Ethical Treatment of Animals magic act involving a duck. And tell Fun us about it. Tell us well, about your duck. I was... Your duck is similar to the slug in our show, isn't it? Very much so. Yeah. Yes, very much so. <laughs> um, yeah, I was doing a cabaret. I was doing a regular Tuesday night cabaret and I would bring lots of new things along and one time some lovely people from Peter had booked the front table and I started telling my story about rabbits and top hats, which is just a story, but they were all... I spoke to them afterwards, they were quite worried. They thought they might have to... Like, they were conflicted because ethical treatment of animals and then this magician about to bring a rabbit out of his armpit, they were quite worried and thought, should they ethically have to storm the stage or come and have an awkward conversation with me afterwards about maybe a rabbit's not happy living in someone's car? But <laughs> they didn't have to because I didn't have a rabbit. So we became friends. It was quite fun. And then they came back again and I started another story, which was about bringing a duck on stage. They're like, oh no, he's actually got a duck this time. <laughs> but... Elsa! <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Juan is a problematic Spanish stereotype, but not a performing animal. Mm-hmm. And he identifies as a straight white male. He is a duck and he performs a card trick. He's a little wooden duck. Isn't he, he is a little wooden duck. He's he's a dippy duck. He's follows in a long tradition of dippy duck performing ducks that are presumably bred in some wood shop somewhere that magicians have. And when you introduce dippy duck, do mm. you um, do you suggest to the audience that you might be about to bring out a live animal? A hundred percent. Yeah. And a lot of people are worried that it's going to be a snake. Yeah. That's quite often what people are scared of. Because we do the same when. Seal the magical slug yeah. appears in our show, and he is also made of wood. Wood, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a emulsion. Famous animals made out of wood, aren't they? Hmm. Yeah. What's Seal the magical slug's real name? You know that, don't you know? Sadie the seal. Sadie I mean, the seal. Yeah. yeah. This is Sadie the seal's cousin. Actually. Yeah, it's, it's an ascendant. <laughs> yeah. That's Sadie from the musical days. Yeah. <laughs> Sadie without the bow in her hair. Can can slugs and seals be be cousins? Is that does that work? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think we're living in the twenty first century. I think. Yeah. yeah I think that's okay. Anything is possible, right? Yeah. 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 At the end of the day, it's, it's a bit of plywood identifying as an animal. So <laughs> I respect its choice. So who's next on my list? On my list, I have got next um, favorite animals: dogs. Dogs. Yeah. I like dogs. I like. Dogs. I like a puppy. I like a big dog. I like a dog. I think dogs are better than cats. Wow going to divide the listenership. That's right? another direct quote from our show, isn't it? It's a direct quote from it our is. show. It yeah. is. I enjoy you championing that ongoing debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On, on stage, but, uh, publicly, mm. Gail and Abel endorse dogs over cats. Mm. Uh, personally, I always used to be more of a cat guy, but now I think I'm into dogs. Yeah. <laughs> You've never owned either. I've never owned either. Oh, right, yeah, so that kind of helps. But I'm hoping to get a dog. Kayla, are you... Ed Kane obviously champions dogs over cats, but only um, Ed, only publicly on stage. Yeah. Edward Gibbons, who? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who does he? Who's he into? Cats or dogs? I think cats probably. Yeah, I used to have an irrational fear of dogs, which I'll openly admit to on the airways. That's okay. You know, giving out some gold here, <laughs> Mark Watson. I'm looking at you, expecting you to sort of you know give us something in your next answer. Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, we need a bit of gold here. Um, yeah, I used to be terribly... He's got a whole portfolio of gold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I used to have an irrational fear of dogs. Just a complete aversion you wouldn't want yeah. to be in the same place. Yeah, I'd, I'd never been bitten by one or attacked by one, but like I would... Always, and I still do get a little bit nervous now if I see mm. a dog and get a little bit sweaty. And go, mm. um, yeah, but a few years ago I went to work in a dog-friendly coffee shop. To, to try and get because I, I just thought how old would I have been late 20s and mm-hmm. I thought this is ridiculous I can't be scared of dogs so you simultaneously 20s. faced your fear of dogs and coffee yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wow but it was good because I used to do little bits in the kitchen and then I'd have to sort of come out and do the things to people and there'd be dogs there and I'd be like ooh and then I'd run away and hide in the kitchen yeah. until I sort of composed <laughs> myself and then I'd be like alright that oh, that's good. Yeah. Well done. That, that was so a did couple... that work? Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. That's exciting. Mark Raffles used to use dogs in his app, didn't he, before he started... The Witchwoods um, He had poodles. Good yeah. yeah. He, he tried to sell it to us. Do you remember? I... Oh, you should have bought it. We should have done, didn't yeah. We said we liked it, and he was like, you can have it if you want. I was like, take your hand out of my pocket. <laughs> what? Well, he puts his hands in your pockets, doesn't he? Oh, I see. <laughs> he's, pocket he's, a pickpocket, yeah. I see. he's a pickpocket, yeah. He's an amazing pickpocket. He's yeah. the best pickpocket, isn't he? Yeah. Well, he, well of his generation, been, certainly, yeah. But yeah, he's definitely one of the best. Entertainment pickpocket. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Mark Raffles' dog's quite iconic. Yeah. Uh, very quickly on my list, just because okay. we're doing dogs. And You've then missed I'm coming Mark. to Mark. Have you got your dogs <laughs> on your list? I don't think I do, no. No. Okay, I'm just going to quickly say the dog on my list is Horace Golding's Jack Russell. Oh, uh, yeah. Now, it's a very good trick, but if you want to see animals handled badly, this is the show to watch. Because it's rabbit held by the ears. Rabbit held by the ears, yeah, because he does a little shadow dog. No, little shadow rabbit. Shadow dog comes, eats the rabbit. <gasps> Burst. You mean Paul Debet <laughs> wasn't the first person to do that? <laughs> he does, his dog doesn't it? Oh, his dog does eat the rabbit, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Made famous by Paul DeBet, but Horace Golden was doing it years ago. Popularised. Yeah, <laughs> popularised by Paul DeBet. <laughs> and he eats the dog, and then he punches through, and he pulls out the Jack Russell, and the Jack Russell seems okay. Turns the Jack Russell onto his belly, gets a knife. I think it's one of those knives that goes into the handle. Stabs it into the Jack Russell, pulls it up, reaches into the belly, and pulls out a rabbit by the ears. Rabbits mm. kicking and screaming. It's a very good trick, but it's quite cruel, isn't it? Yeah, if I was sat in the audience, I would have stopped watching a trick the moment there was a live animal on stage and be like, oh, now I'm in a room with a Jack Russell. And then at that stage, the most interesting thing to do with that Jack Russell is not to, to, to bring out a dodgy <laughs> knife. <laughs> it might be to go and say hello, to roll about on the floor. I don't know. Would not be to pretend to pull a out of well if anyone knows how that Jack Russell was treated by Horace Gordon we'd love to hear from you get in touch but Mark Watson who else is on your list well it's funny that you mention rabbits because I'm going to bring up the classic of magic that mm. I think everyone knows is pulling a rabbit from a hat yeah. but specifically I want to talk about one particular version of it which is as a kid growing up I used to watch The Masked Magician quite a lot you guys have seen mm, The Masked Magician yeah. right? and I believe it's the first ever episode of that where he chooses to explain the classic of magic Pulling a rabbit from a hat. Now, this must have been in like the 90s, and I don't think a magician had pulled a rabbit out of a hat for a good like 50 years prior to that. But the mass magician still decided, oh, this is like the key secret of magic that we need to tell the people. But also, the, the method that he gave 
was very much you had to have a table and you had to sort of flip the hat a few ways in lots of different obscure patterns and then eventually the rabbit would end up in there. And I just think it's a very, it's a very convoluted method but also it just it's not a good trick, I didn't think. Yeah, well a lot of the methods on that show were quite convoluted, weren't they? Indeed, indeed. And, and certainly in the later series I'm pretty sure they made up tricks just to show on the show and no magician would actually ever perform them in real life. But yeah, that one just always stuck out to me as a silly method for a, a very old trick, I think. I mean, most most magicians, if you're going to pull a rabbit out of a hat, you'd probably just have a dodgy hat, wouldn't you? Just... Or a dodgy rabbit. Or a dodgy rabbit, that's true. <laughs> yeah, there's been lots of different methods. I don't know that... Yeah, I think that was... was yeah. Because it, it's a relatively recent addition to magic, even though it's iconic. Mm. It's something that when you say magic, your average person in the street will mention high on their list of things they think of. Um, but I believe it was invented slash popularised, not by Paul de Beck, I was about to go there, <laughs> not, but um, John Henry Anderson, Wizard of the North. So it probably is only a couple of hundred years old. Yeah. I don't think, as far as I'm aware, I don't think there's references earlier than that. And it first happened because there was a story in the newspaper that a woman had given birth to a rabbit. Mm. That's true. So then the next night, was it that magician? Uh, the magi- a magician pulled the rabbit from his hat as a reference oh. to the new story. Mm. And it all grew from there. And he does question what the hat is supposed to symbolise in that example, but we won't go there. Well, Barry and Stuart <laughs> went there, didn't they? On, they did they indeed, did, that is true. On Dirty Tricks. Yeah. They went there. That's pulled a rabbit from a woman. What's the difference between a magician and <laughs> an experimental psychologist? I don't know, Neil. What is the difference between a magician and an experimental psychologist? A magician pulls rabbits out of hats, and an experimental psychologist pulls habits out of rats. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like that joke. There we go. (laughs) I also had on my list uh, that Howard first used to appear rabbits and then would give them away to people. Mm. He'd give them to a girl in the audience to Mm. take home. And I don't know if that's a PR stunt. You better find that livid. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, or he wanted to have rabbits in the show but didn't want to care for them. Mm. So just bought a rabbit every show, produced it, and gave it away. Or when it was getting a bit old. Like, does quite a few shows, then gives it away. Does yeah. a few shows, gives it away. Mm, yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? I think that may have been a time when more people would have he killed would've... and cooked their own food. Right. It so wouldn't you, surprise me if they maybe would you think the either keep it or eat it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm wondering. Peter surely wouldn't like that no. in today's world. Though. Not a fan. I don't think they'd be a fan. Do Peter have a stance on animals in magic tricks? I think I don't speak on behalf of Peter. However, I think they would be against all uses. All uses of live animals as entertainment in those sorts of formats. The animals don't really... You can say that they have a lovely life, but it's lovely by human opinions. It's not free. So, I don't know. I think they'd pretty much be against keeping an animal in a cage, especially for entertainment purposes. What if it's like a domesticated animal that has a lovely time, like my dog? Okay. I get my dog. So it's my dog, he hangs out, he has fun. Yeah. But every now and then... Yeah. He might do a little show. Now, 
is your dog performing a stunt? Is it gonna like roll over and play dead, or like maybe? Or is it just gonna be strolling around the venue? Because I feel like if you've incentivized an animal to do a stunt, like you give it a treat if it does a somersault. Yeah. I think that's still not by their choice. Like, they couldn't just... If they had a choice of, like, do a somersault and get a Scooby Stack yeah. versus walk over to that table and get a Scooby Stack where there just happens to be something in the bottle, I don't think they would choose to do the somersault. So a Peter against Crofts? I would imagine so. That's interesting, because Cross is big, isn't it? But if we relate that example to, like, the real world, yeah. you're suggesting that, like, people can earn more money and have more stable livings by doing boring jobs like accountancy or working for an investment bank. Yeah. Whereas, <laughs> whereas some people choose to make it hard for themselves and do somersaults or but juggle. If, or... if you were in a situation where you're being held captive... And the only way for you to get food slash money was to do a boring job. Of course you would do it. So I think it's a false thing. The held captive thing is, is important in there. Ultimately yeah, you point. are being like the captor. Mm. And even if they're doing it because of a weird sort of Stockholm syndrome trying to impress you, I think it's still strange. Mm. That said, who knows? I'm not an authority. Ed, can you got another animal on your list? I haven't got a list. I know, right. your, <laughs> your metaphorical list. Beauty? Who's... Is beauty... Um, Beauty's a... The dog? Yeah. That's a good story. Whose dog? Let me... It, oh, oh you get go on then. I know Guess. whose dog it is. It's the Scottish guy. No. Oh, is it Harry Houdini's dog? No. Isn't but it? It did, it did happen in Scotland. It was given to him by Houdini, wasn't it? Houdini gave it to the man who died in Edinburgh in Ooh, the fire. Yeah, yeah. great. Whose name was Ooh. Robert Paulson. <laughs> Begins with an L. L. You see, I do know this. L. Do you know it? Yes. You all know it. It's all on the tip of your tongue, but I can't think of it. Go on. L-A. L-A-F. The Great... Oh, The Great Lafayette. The Great Lafayette. Yeah. <sighs> right, and his, he was buried with his dog, wasn't he? I think that's right. right. He was buried twice. Yeah. So the well, didn't they, didn't they die, like, really close together? He was... They buried his stage double. Yeah. So for people that don't know, there was a fire at the theatre in Edinburgh that The Great Lafayette was performing in, and they had a huge funeral for him. I believe he went back in to let out horses. Right. That might be wrong, I might be making this up. But I believe he went back into the theatre to save the animals. I've heard that story. Oh. That they were animals trapped, basically, under the stage. And, yeah, he was buried, but then another body was found that was wearing his rings. Yeah, like, so it was, oh his, no. it was his double that they buried. Mm. And who, who had the big funeral? Did the double get the... The, the big... double got the funeral. They paraded him because he was—he was, was like—he was the highest-paid magician in the world. Yeah, yeah, at the time. He was, was like Beyonce. He was like Beyonce. He was like Beyonce yeah, like, dying, yeah. and then they found Beyonce's double. How many Beyonces do you think there is? Not one, many. One? Not no. many. No. Three or four? Maybe less. Uh, Mark, <laughs> can you shed some light? Be great, Lafayette. Yes, I can because I just happened to have memorised the whole article from Wikipedia. I'm definitely, <laughs> definitely not looking at this on my phone. But uh, Beauty died just four days before the incident at the theatre, oh. and he managed to uh, the Great Lafayette managed to argue with Edinburgh City Council 
to say, can the dog be buried in a human cemetery? And they agreed only on the condition that the great Lafayette would himself be buried there upon his own death. Four days later, the accident happened and... Wow. And so they're buried in Edinburgh. They are buried together and they're buried in Edinburgh. We should go visit them in August, shouldn't we? We'll all go together as a trip. trip. Was it beauty that had a colour that said, the more I learn of people, the more I love my dog? There's something like a saying like that. Oh, did La- more, or did Lafayette have that? I don't did think he, he wore that? a collar. <laughs> Come on, great Lafayette. <laughs> <laughs> Do your business. <laughs> Let's get you back into the theatre. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. I may have imagined that. Lafayette would be a good I'm name. getting shrugs from Wikipedia Corner. <laughs> <laughs> Lafayette would be a good name for a dog, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. If I ever have a dog, I, would, I, I think I might call it Lafayette. Well... Mm. The name that I think is good for a dog would be Geezer, but you would have to have a real manly dog, wouldn't you? I don't think. But I think should. I'd quite I don't like a think floppy. You should shame. Like you, a, I think a any any dog could be called Geezer. So I could have a cocker spaniel and call it Geezer. Yeah, of course you can. Yeah, Geezer, come on. Yeah, no, I see no reason why not. That's yeah. Uh, Neil Kelso, what's yeah. next on your list of your favourite animals? Well, let me tell you. Next on my list... Are we all done with dogs, though? Like. We're all done with dogs. Oh, yeah, sorry. Dogs was a big topic. It was yeah. a big can yes. of worms over all there, wasn't it? Big can of dogs. I quite like how we do this now. Neil says an animal, and then we go in with the magic animals. Well, it's better. Eating I'm, the Haribo now. I'm, I'm actually eating a crocodile. <laughs> as oh, we no. speak. Oh. <laughs> Don't drop them on the sofa. She'll get angry. Right. Oh. Um... So I've realised I've got otters on my list twice, but that's because I really <laughs> like otters. Um, I'm going to stay in the realms of the underwater and say octopus. Ah. Because I think octopuses or octopi or octopodes, whatever the correct word is, are quite amazing. They're quite incredible. They're very intelligent. They're very... They move amazingly. I wouldn't... I don't think I could be friends with one. I don't... Like, they're a bit frightening. But I like seeing them go through, like, tiny little holes or, like, working out how to open jars or, like, they're cool. Doing the football results. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Psychic Paul. So, again, yeah, I didn't... Didn't love an octopus in a box paraded on telly. But if that's going to predict the World Cup, then maybe some people thought it was justified. I don't know. No. So yeah, no, oct- octopus. And some of them change colour. And some of them are tiny and some of them are big. And they're cool. Yeah. Surely David Blaine should appear an octopus when he's in his tank. Yeah. I think David Blaine does amazing magic. He does he do does. amazing magic. And he, he does, does do animals. animals. He did the... There's a lot of animals. The snake in the, in yeah. the school bag. Yeah. That classic of magic. Of course, yeah. He cured that child's phobia. Of snakes. Of snakes. Yeah. I was sneaking it into his school bag. I was sat watching that thinking, I wish David Blaine would sneak a dog into my school bag. Yeah. I wish David Blaine would sneak a dog into my school bag. I would have never had to work in that coffee shop. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, octopus. There we go. I'm going to say that. That's a fun one. Okay. They also have cool freaky eyes. I like an octopus eye. And they look cool, don't they? Yeah. Their mouths are quite cool. Yeah. I, I, I've obviously... I've, I've cooked a fair few octopuses in my time. Tell us about octopus mouths. So, you cook, when you cook an octopus, you cook it really long and slow. Do you know how to kill an octopus? No. Just in case you ever get into any trouble. Yeah, tell me. Mark, 
just pretend to be an octopus for a little bit of time. Okay, <laughs> okay. there's a lot of wiggling happening. <laughs> oh, it's involving all this the is, limbs. This is when it comes in handy that this is okay. a, a visual podcast. And Mark's looking terrified. I'm, I'm worried that <laughs> sneaking up on him. I'm worried that he's actually going to kill me. Okay, hang on, so you, should, you should die. Right, hold on, I'm going to film this. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm going to film this because, oh. and then this, because I feel this should go out. Right, here we go. And is. now everyone can see the studio. Okay. Right, so, so this is the, the octopus body. Okay. The whole the of head. Mark's head is so the body. Mark's head is the body. Okay, yeah. we've readjusted. And then these are his arms okay. coming up here. Okay. Okay. And you have to have big hands. Okay. Like, like a goalkeeper. Yeah. Okay. And then you come over like this. <laughs> okay. You know, and obviously this is, let's say one of his arms is on your baby. Like he's, he's throttling your baby child and you're like, I right. I don't think an octopus would do that <laughs> to a baby, but... But this is a good reason to kill the hand. octopus. So I'm just... Okay, this know. one's a particularly bad egg. And then you come over... And you put your two thumbs on the top of his head like this, and everything else goes underneath, and you push down, and you flip him completely inside out. Oh. Instantly dead. Okay, I can't realize. (laughs) Quick mark, inside out. (laughs) Perfect. Yeah, great. That's how you kill an octopus. So, are you turning it inside out through its mouth, or through its bottom, or just through... Everything. You're turning the whole thing inside out. Oh, yeah, I think that's unkind. Yeah, but it dies instantly. That's the important thing. Is it, though? Is that the important thing? (laughs) It's an instant death. Oh, perfect. So it's a justified death if it's instant. Yeah. It's weird how people people often use, you know, very minority cases to explain a reasoning for something. Like, you use the yeah. case of the octopus grabbing the baby. <laughs> killing the baby. My baby. <laughs> Most of the times, it's just, yeah. I want, want to eat the octopus. Want calamari, right? <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's, you know, you're planning to fricassee it. Yeah. So you're planting a baby in the tank. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's... It was out on the rocks. The baby was just lying on the rocks, getting okay. a bit of sun. Yeah. As babies do. And the octopus came out onto the rocks, grabbed the baby... And then over I came. But it wasn't even a rip. We could all see the label for my baby or the stuff from Toys R Us. But the octopus didn't know that, though. That's what happened to... He thought it was a real baby. That's what happened to Harold Bishop, isn't it? He didn't fall off the rocks. He was (laughs) snatched by an octopus. So I would just like to apologise to anyone listening who's now traumatised by the image that they have of an octopus being turned inside out by a goalkeeper. (laughs) David Seaman would be good at killing. And then the only bit you don't eat is the mouth. So you, you, you cook the whole thing long and slow, like, okay. cover it in water, stick, Inside it, out. stick it in the oven. Yeah. No, you've turned it back the right way. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> come on, Neil, come on. <laughs> um, and then you, you just take the, it's got a mouth like this, okay. and you just push that out. It's really hard and sharp because it's got the teeth on. And that's the only bit you eat, you don't eat, and then you eat the whole of the rest of the octopus. Can I just say, I, I don't think your brother works out how podcasts work, doesn't he? Because he's doing a lot of visual stuff. I think he wants this to be a TV show, which, don't we all? But... Don't we all, yeah. Not today, though, because you've still got that spot on your cheek. Although it, it was a bite. It was a bite. bit by a mosquito. That was me, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it was an octopus. It <laughs> came to try and snatch you from yeah. your bed. Fortunately, he turned it inside out and killed it instantly. Yeah. yeah. That's sad. So, okay, I've put octopus out there. There's not any real... Mark, get in your list. To give us Give us an animal on your list. Okay, I'm now I'm now starting to talk about some slightly silly ones, but I like them all. Um, I'm going to say chicken, and this is the chicken specifically used by Max Malini. So Max, this is a famous story about Max Malini, who was a magician, early 1900s. If I throw out 1920s, 30s, that wouldn't that be would too feel far wrong. Right, I think that feels about yeah. right. Um, uh, there was a famous story of him going to a very posh banquet, 
uh, where he was he was you know going to do something impressive for them. But um, Max Malini famously did a, a lot of stuff which required so much preparation or just so much. I think it was Teller that always said the the I'm butchering a phrase here, but the most remarkable thing about magicians is people never expect us to prepare as much as we do or to put so much time into something that seems so inconceivable. So. Um, what, uh, what Max Moline did on this occasion, he knew they were having a roast chicken. So uh, Max Moline knew, uh, a fa which is a, a famous magic trick and a sort of sideshow stunt, that he could hypnotise birds. So he went into the kitchen and he got this live chicken and he hypnotised the chicken. Uh, and you, you sort of throw it down backwards, don't you, and then it, and then it comes into a sort of hypnotised state. In this hypnotised state, he took the chicken and he plucked it, still alive, but just hypnotised, sort of sleeping, and then placed it on the platter with some vegetables around it and whatnot, and then said to the chef, send this through in like 15, 20 minutes. So it comes through. Mmm, a delicious raw <laughs> chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. You must have, like, varnished, you must have put something on it to make it look... You'd hope cut. so. I mean, tan. Yeah, yeah. You must okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, all of this sounds very <laughs> abusive to the bird. I don't know about you. I'm but, sure the bird was not. <laughs> no, exactly. But um, the bird then comes out on the platter, and uh, I assume it wasn't Max that did a seed, but someone else came to carve the chicken, and as soon as they stuck the fork into the bird, the chicken obviously came back alive and then went scurrying off and squawking all over the place. Um, and I just think it's such a remarkable, crazy story. Again, Ridiculous. not advocating this sort of behaviour towards the chicken, <laughs> but it's just such a crazy story that you don't really hear about these days. It's a brilliantly crazy story. I love all these myths <laughs> about magicians. I really doubt <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any of that really, truly happened. I, yeah, but it's I, the lack of the spray tan is when the story falls That's apart. Where it can for me. For you, <laughs> yeah, but a roast chicken looks a lot like a raw chicken, right? I mean, what's the difference? It's just no, no, just me. I find about an hour and a half. <laughs> if you had a dinner party and you invited a friend who was a magician, and about half an hour before you do, <laughs> he wanders off into the kitchen with his suspiciously large bag, yeah, and you hear a man hypnotizing chicken, and then. I don't think it would have been silent for a plucking. What did he do with the feathers? <laughs> well, exactly. Like, there's a lot of unanswered questions. Personally, I, the, the, the most bizarre part is somebody with a reputation for this sort of thing. Do you invite them to dinner in the first place? <laughs> would you have them in your home? I don't know. I don't know. It's fascinating. I do love the idea but, of lots of preparation. But you got to remember, this is the guy that would do, like, an hour-long show and then at the end produce an enormous block of ice from a hand. Mm, and, and he would literally allow his clothes to become drenched with ice water whilst he was getting ready for it, yeah. you know. Um, so, so I, I... Crazy soggy I Max. think it's possible. I think, I think it's possible. I think there's yeah. crazier about Max Malini than it. You might say. Oh, well, yeah, I'm sure he tried it. <laughs> Part of me hopes it is true. Part of me hopes it isn't true because of that poor chicken. All of me hopes he was never allowed near an animal. <laughs> what we know for sure is that that chicken is definitely not alive anymore. The chicken's not alive anymore. And as Max, to be fair. Like as Max, that's why, isn't it? Yeah. But it's in the anvils of magic history. Um, on chicken, mm. David Blaine's chicken did that trick with the chicken, didn't he? Mm. He grabbed the chicken, took its head off on the yeah. street, mm -hmm. and then put it back on. I remember thinking that was a very good trick at the time. Mm. And who were we talking about before? Mark Raffles. Yeah. He used to do the cups and balls with chickens. Yeah. Did baby yes. chicks? Yeah. He used to finish with chicks. Quite well, cup. quite big chicks because he used quite big, big cups, didn't yeah. he? So they had quite. Biggish mm. chicks. Like, they were young chickens, but they were still big. They weren't like the baby chicks of the, the Gali Gali men in Egypt. No. Um, he knew that if you produced a very young chick and it just sat there looking dazed, the audience would feel really sorry for it, and rightfully so. 
Um, but if you have one that was a few, I don't know whether it's days or weeks old, if you when you produce it, it walks about. The audience mm. know that it's alive, okay-ish. Mm. So feel less sympathy. Do you and think this, worry about it? Do you think this is of a time when a chicken comes out of a a cup? And it was just just pausing whilst the selfie was happening. <laughs> yeah, a selfie A chicken comes out of a cup. Do you think at this time people would be like, when did he sneak that chicken under that cup? Or were they like, my goodness, a chicken has magically appeared under a cup? I think that for me it would be a very small percentage of an audience would genuinely believe that you'd conjured a chicken <laughs> and that prior to that moment it has not existed. <laughs> I think a large proportion of the audience were not thinking beyond the, I didn't see when that happened, hmm. to the actual, I wonder how long that's been up his jumper. I mean, just as an example, I, I do um, a version of Gazzo's Cups and Balls routine. I do it on the street and I use a busker's pouch, very traditional, um, or poacher's pouch. Um, so I produce a, a melon and oranges and whatnot. And yeah, just to the... be clear, that's a pouch made of a busker, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you skinned a poacher. Yes, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and yeah, when the, the common response I get from people is, is, is not... They, they don't think I, as you said, they don't think I created those oranges and those melons out of nowhere. Yeah. But they do often say, where, where the hell did you get that melon from? Where the hell did you get those oranges from? And, and I'm always amazed by yeah. that because I start the routine by going, here is a big leather bag that I don't produce many things from. And, <laughs> and they, For the yeah. end of my act, yeah. I'm going to put on this ordinary melon hole. <laughs> <laughs> I should, I should, I should try a show. I mean, and start that. with that line, yeah. and then they'll just forget about it, and then at the end go, "Oh, he did uh, tell us this." Didn't <laughs> Do you take your um, uh, barcodes off your melons? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Always annoys me when people don't. I I leave. I wouldn't normally put fruit in the fridge, but I put those in the fridge because then they last about three weeks before they go bad. So. The melon. Yeah, and and the oranges. I don't actually like melon or oranges, so I never eat them. Fantastic. Mm. <laughs> ah. And it's always a honeydew, isn't it? Mm. Is there a reason it's, I've why used it's a... always a honeydew? Have you um, tried anything else? I have. Um, I've done a pineapple for a couple of specific shows that people wanted it, but they're very big and plumy. And yeah. I do have a big hat, though, because I have a very big head. Um, but the, the honeydew melon is just a good shape. It's, and it's bright yellow. That's the other thing, which is a good colour. Yeah. Yellow, orange, red are good colours mm. on stage, very bright and vibrant. Um but it's just it's just round and smooth and it's easy to grab. <laughs> like all the best things. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence has woken up. <laughs> Any more on birds then, guys? Um, I would like a little detour just to say that one act that I always remember finding delightful, despite my anti-animal stance so far in this podcast, is being at Blackpool Convention when Norman Barrett has got out his budgery Yeah. Yes. It's yeah. a charming act with him dressed as a ringmaster with, as I remember it, a dozen or so budgies that come out on a little performing table that's a bit like an ironing table and they do little things of like cycling around on things and they go back in their cage. I remember that being quite charming. It's the bow. It's the bow where he lifts up one end. Yeah. And they're all up, they're all on their stand, and he lifts up the table so that yeah. they bow. And of course, they sort of rotate with the nature of the set. That's it's just yeah. a brilliant move. But it's it's really, it's quite hard to have an issue with that act because it does seem so loving and. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not. I'm certainly no person that takes the moral high ground on everything. But it's that's a charming mm. thing that in the field of animals and magic, I didn't feel at all uncomfortable during. I think part of the thing with that 
is you don't feel like he is making the budgies do tricks because they're being so naughty and True. he's not particularly... Con- Although we know he is controlling them, they're like running away from him mm. and then when the one gets on the little mm. bike, <laughs> cycles mm. the little bike. So you're kind of like, oh no, this poor man and his naughty budgies. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, there's a little magic act. I thought worth a mention while we were on birds. Definitely. Norman Barrett, the only circus performer to have an MBE. Oh, yeah. There you go. I took pictures of him once. <laughs> Did we know about it? <laughs> Through his <laughs> caravan window. <laughs> Hang on, that was Norman Barrett. <laughs> um, I did a photojournalism module at university, and for my photojournalism project, I went to Zippo Circus and took pictures of the show and backstage. And Norman Barrett just kind of came up to me and was like, Ah, oh, photographer, where do you want me? And then I took pictures of him outside the tent and stuff. He was brilliant. A real sweetie. What other animals did they have? In that show, yeah. they had horses yeah. and miniature horses. Ponies? No, miniature, like a miniature stallion is what I think yeah. they're called. Were they, was it ones. the same horse just set further back on the stage? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it ran underneath it, which was a bit that I liked. Huh. It was quite cool when the horses came around and ran, you know. they just come and run around the ring and go back. Which maybe is kind of just like, is that fun? If you're a horse and you get to come in and do a quick lap and bugger off real quick? You'd have to ask a horse. You'd have to ask a horse. I, well, I doubt it, but go for it. Go for it. I think they were having fun. Yeah, maybe. Well, fun fact for you, most circus rings uh, in the world are the same size. I can't remember the exact size of this, but when the, the first people, uh, it was uh, Philip Astley, wasn't it, in the circus, um, first created the circus ring, the reason they are the size they are is it's the smallest ring you can get without the horses getting dizzy from going round. And that's one of wow. the reasons why it's great, the size it is. Well, that's quite nice, isn't it? Stopping the dizziness. dizzy. Yeah. Yeah. No one likes a dizzy horse, do they? <laughs> get stumbling off into the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Trampling the children in the front row. <laughs> hmm. Any more on birds? No? Yeah, no one wants to talk about Lance Burton's doves? No. I, I, I Definitely... Lance Burton's is probably one of the best. It's it's a nice routine. Is to dove acts just don't really do it for me. I like Greg Freewind's act. Maybe that's because they're colourful. But my favourite bit of that is when he puts his um, takes his jacket off by putting the coat hanger on the back of his trousers and flipping it round. <laughs> so despite the fact so your favourite part of his bird act, doesn't yeah. Birds. yeah. It's a trick. And and when he. When he does the, the balls, bouncing balls. Mm. So yeah, maybe the favourite bits of that. And the woman at the end. So yeah, I do like the doves, but I think it's the rest that I like mm. more. If only there was a magician here that performs with animals, that we could ask them to explain. Have either of you two ever performed with animals? No. When you were really a quiz, ever? No. 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 I really wanted a rabbit as a kid so that I could do the rabbit and the hat trick which mm. I've already discussed is, is a silly trick but um, and my, my dad kept saying famously it's like oh I just need to build the hutch once I build the hutch then we can have the rabbit he never built that hutch yeah. <laughs> still better to that's, that's good isn't it that's yeah. good I approve of that <laughs> yeah confrontational avoidance yeah we've produced a fish before mm. and I think the first Very time early days we, we did it maybe once and was like we can't do that ever again. Really? Yeah. There's just so much fear. Like, mm. 
you have about 10 minutes to get that fish back into a big pool of water. Mm. And it was just a little bit too scary for me. I was a little bit like... And when you put in... It's not easy. worth it. And it's a huge risk Yeah. that a dead fish comes out. Mm. Yeah. That's game over, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I, do, I don't think the payoff is, is big enough. No. And when you put him in his little thing that he has to go in, his secret compartment, he looks cute. He but looks... then you're also a bit like, he doesn't want to be there. Yeah. That is not where that goldfish wants to be. Mm. The good thing about goldfish is that they don't remember any of it happening. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose that is true. Or do they? Or do <laughs> they? On some level, they must. <laughs> is it? Is this? A you cons- can't trade a goldfish. Come on, get idiot. Is it a you conspiracy? You can train goldfish. Have you not seen? No. You can train goldfish. There's people on YouTube that have taught their fish to play like underwater basketball. No. Yeah. With a normal run-of-the-mill yeah, fairground goldfish. Little, you can buy a kit which is a clicker of like, and it drops in a little food treat, so it goes and pushes a thing or doesn't it? There's also been research. Um, I'm gonna misrepresent it all but there's been interesting research using fish um psychologically they have proven that fish have personalities and they were mapping a load of fish in a big tank and they would look for which ones were more extrovert which ones were more introvert and so they were able to identify which ones were extrovert and introvert and then they created a group which was just extrovert fish and they gave like a little task like if they pushed a thing food would come out and then they made a tank of just introvert fish and then a mix. Mm-hmm. And the mixed group performed much better than either of the other two groups because the introverts watch the extroverts. The extroverts like swimming around, pushing the thing, swimming around, and then noticing some food. But an introvert notices it and then it's like, oh, if I go and push that thing. And then the extroverts learn from the introverts. So there's like more learning happens when you have a mix of fish than just having extrovert ones who are all just showing off to their friends, or the introvert ones are all anxious in corners. So a mixed group of fish have different personalities, and we can learn those things. Scientists using animals is also a grey area, but... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my least favourite is, you know, if you're like... Why are deodorant companies still need to keep those monkeys in cages? Mm. Just use the same deodorants. Yeah. The ones we know don't sting. Yeah. We don't need new deodorant. Do we, we don't need new deodorant. No, no, I agree. I think we're past that. Makeup? Surely we've got all the makeups we need. Yeah, I think we're past that. We know what chemicals do to things and people. Yeah, let the monkeys free. Yeah. John Calvert bought a monkey, didn't he? Did he? He did. You know John Calvert? Mm-hmm. The magician. Mm-hmm. The oldest performing magician ever because mm-hmm. he performed when he was like 92 or something mm-hmm. I he believe was... he read in the paper that this monkey that had been bought and used in a film was going to get destroyed because no one would look after it so he went and got the monkey and he had a monkey for a bit mm-hmm. never never used him on stage don't think he ever did any tricks lazy git <laughs> but, <laughs> but who John Calvert, was <laughs> <laughs> a monkey. He did have a laid-back style, though, John Calvert. Didn't well, he? that was the name of his act, was the Lazy Magician, wasn't it? Was it really? Oh, yeah, right. the, the ropes through the body. Yeah, that's was, that's called the Lazy Magician. It is, isn't it? Oh, we like John Calvert. Uh, monkeys? 
Mark? Monkeys, yeah, I was going to mention on your list. The, uh, the chimpanzees with Paul Daniels uh, is a very famous scene. I mean, there's, yeah. there's not a lot of magic in that scene, and I'm sure Paul has talked about it in various interviews on what a nightmare that was to do and to film. Um, but it is, in the end, it is quite a good torn and restored club trick, basically, with chimpanzees. And the chimpanzees are not interested at all, basically. They are eating food constantly. And, but it, it's a wonderful piece. It's about six minutes of television, and you can watch it on YouTube. And I think it's amazing. The only thing I remember of it is the monkey being obsessed with the inside of the box. Yes. That's that for me. It's what the whole thing was about. And it was magical. Because nature is magical. Monkey being curious is a magical thing to watch. That's one of the sort of few tricks where the secret is more interesting than the actual trick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was and in the box? And the reveal of it was... Good TV, was it? Yeah. yeah. Have you seen recently there is a video going around social media of... Uh, a monkey who's been given a mobile phone on Instagram yeah. and the behaviour is exactly that of human beings and how we mm. interact and he's able to go into the photo oh that's a fun one go back to the, the list of photos that one oh, yeah that's good yeah. it's really creepy isn't it it's video. amazing and bizarre yeah, yeah it's really strange watching a monkey like looking at videos of its monkey friends <laughs> of, of itself of and itself it, yeah. and does it recognise itself and know that that's them and that they had that experience yeah and... so cool there's the gorilla, isn't there, that posed for the picture the other day. A wildlife mm. photographer was taking a picture and he kind of put his hands behind his back and sort of stood really proudly and smiled. Oh. A big, teethy smile. Oh. I saw a gorilla do that in a zoo once. I think it was kind of a sort of coming over and saying, I'm the, I'm the boss. But then uh, during that section, Ed pushed his chest out <laughs> and tilted his head in a very mask way. We could have Neil to just narrate what you're doing. This is why I don't normally get so much air time. <laughs> we have to cut all your bits out because he's just doing charades. And of course, whilst not a, a real animal, but you have the famous gorilla moment in the Darren Brown show, uh, not something wicked, uh, An Evening of Wonders, mm. isn't that? Um, for listeners who haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil the magic of it, but I think it's it's still regarded as one of Darren's best pieces, best ending to a first half. When he did his recent show, which was like a best of yeah. mixture, he ended the first half again with it because it's such an incredible... And if you've never seen it before, yeah. it blows you away every time. So yeah, again, use of Gorilla. Yeah, and it's good because you still don't expect that from Darren. Mm. That's why I think he managed mm. to do it so well because you're like, oh, that's not... Yeah, mm. like... If a gorilla walked through the back of mine and Ed's show, mm. you'd be like, one of them's going to be the gorilla. At <laughs> uh, can I give it from that very same show, not related to monkeys or gorillas, but another Darren Brown reference is to uh, an animal he introduces called a net. I don't know if you remember this, and he, he, he very can't, I'm pretty sure it's that show, and he, he calmly says, we just need to bring out a net. And he goes off to the side of the stage and uh, he brings on this lead, and he's like, come on, come on, whoop. Oh, come on. Oh, 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 there we go. And then as it comes out, it's just a very large net. It is a net. Uh, and I, I love that as a joke. And I keep thinking of things to bring that into. And I just don't use a net in any of my, my performances. But the idea that it's this, this wonderful animal that's like tugging back at him and stuff. And it's just a very long handle with a net on the end. And I just love that as a gag. That's a silly old joke. That's brilliant. Very mm. good. Neil, mm. uh, what's next on your list of favourite animals? I wrote down bioluminescence. <laughs> I like things that glow and look pretty and look interesting. That was, but that's more of a side note. An interesting bird um, 
to revisit birds briefly is the national bird of Jamaica, which is a hummingbird that only lives in Jamaica. Do you know about this? No. It's the doctor bird, it's called. And it has especially beautiful plumage and I believe it only lives in Jamaica. And I only know about it uh, because this week I was hosting a show and there was a burlesque artist who that was the inspiration for her act. And the story of the doctor bird in Jamaica is amazing. There's uh, the legend goes that a student nurse was walking home through the cloud mountains, which are so called because they're always shrouded in cloud, lost her way and fell to her death. And a hummingbird saw her falling to her death. And being so tiny, it couldn't save her body, but it was able to save her soul. And ever since that day, hummingbirds in Jamaica have been considered to be half bird, half woman. It's a really beautiful. Mm. Like, I think there's a lot of magic in that. I think there's magic in that. I can't think of a hummingbird being used in a trick ever. No. But it's because they're already magic. They're, they're too magic. I they don't need to do any magic. That's kind of my realisation, I think, is that animals and nature is already much more magical than any magic trick because they are inherently the thing that you're talking about. Yeah. So putting one on stage in amongst magic, for me, makes all the magic look rubbish, as well as the, the cruelty of... Oh, we've brought an animal into a human environment. I think that's it. It's like, oh, why don't we just play with a puppy for two hours instead of having to sit through the, all the card tricks? Like, this was more magical. This is magic. Animals are magic. When, Nature is magic. When I get my dog, I'm going to do an Edinburgh show, mm -hmm. which is solely going to be come and hang out with my dog <laughs> for an hour. So I'll sit in a room with the dog, and I'll just be like, I bought this dog. It was going to be to be in the show. But instead, you can just come play with the dog. I think that's kind of... It'll do well, a, won't it? That's a big step in the right direction. But as a performer who's performed at the Fringe, I don't know if I would want to be subjected to hanging out with all the people that go to shows <laughs> against my will. The but weirdos, yeah. yeah. And if you do this on PBH Free Fringe, where you ask for money as, as audiences leave, if you discover that this is far more successful than either of the Cain and Abel shows that you do. Are you yeah. basically just going to become a fake homeless person a dog with guy. a dog and ask, yeah. and ask for money with the dog? Yeah. Yeah. I suppose we could give the money to, you know, the PDSA, and then that would work, wouldn't it? Because um, it's all... Yeah. It's really Is this an idea you've literally just had? Yeah, right, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think you should give the money to your dog and I, I like the idea that it would come back the year later and it would have a really nice coat and some jewellery and things on and just over the years they're paying for that dog to just have some you could bill it as in the dog all of the dog's food he has to earn this month <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if, it do, if he doesn't get enough in his bucket he's going to get hungry when it comes to May then that's just cruel that's kind isn't of it? problematic I think <laughs> if you're looking for a business model for your dog I think what you should do is set up like a Patreon yeah. where people can subscribe and they can see a little video now and then and all of the money goes towards it having the most amazing habitat with all the best dog things it could possibly have. Mm. We're back do on that. dogs now, aren't we? Yeah. Have we come full circle with animals? Mark, what have, have you got any... Who else have you got on um, your list? Because I can see Mark's got a nice big juicy list um, there. I'm going to do... Can I Can I do rodents? And I'll do three quickfire ones. Ooh, do you yeah, three yeah. quickfire yeah. rodents. Okay, cool. Um, so under rodents, I've got... First of all, guinea pig from Matt King's... The eating show. of the guinea pig. The eating of the guinea pig is such a beautiful piece of magic. It's, yeah. so, it's so fooling and it, it, audiences react to it. 
It's so good. I like it when the guinea pig comes out of the... Mm. Uh, what does he call him? Fig Newton. Yeah. Comes out of the Fig Newton packet, doesn't it? It looks quite cute when it comes out of that. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's that. Um, someone that a lot of people probably won't know about, but uh, there is a street performer who works Covent Garden and quite a lot around London called Diobo, um, who is a fantastic magician. He does a wonderful short... <laughs> I thought you were going to say gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so amazing. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. It's <laughs> um, uh, a, a great magician. He has a wonderful, I'd say about 12-minute street show, so quite a, quite a short street show, um, mainly done silently to, to music, but uh, it, it's beautiful. And he uses a mouse in this show, and that mouse appears very magically it disappears magically it reappears later on in an incredible way and if you've never seen his show before I've, i mean i've seen experienced street performers that have done it for 15 20 years and they've never seen his show and i say oh go around the front and watch his show and they come back and go honestly that's that's one of the best street shows i've ever seen it's, it's short it's sharp but it's so packed full of magic and so much of it is his own creation he spends so much time developing stuff on his own so um check him out on social media, try and find videos, or more importantly, try and see him live. Uh, but he uses a mouse so it's, cleverly. It's incredibly original, mm. act, and especially for the street. Like, it's unlike anything else you ever see on the street, really. Um, but, yeah. What I like. I prefer the floating cigarette part to the, <laughs> the bit with the mouse. But what's his, what did he say about the mice? Didn't you ask him about training the mice once? What did he say to you? It was a very good response. Do you remember? <laughs> Is it about the name of the mice? No. no. Didn't you ask him how he trained the mice? And he mm. said he didn't train them. Uh, he just... always, yeah, he always told me that it's, it's just about playing with them. It's about getting them comfortable with you and, and with sometimes enclosed spaces for a little while. And whatnot. But he doesn't, he doesn't sort of train them and put them through their paces to specifically... And he just leaves them on the street and they don't run away. He leaves, That's yeah. the bit that I find quite baffling. Because, like any other animal like you see people that have dogs that they've owned for 10 years and then they leave it off the lead yeah and then it yes yeah, so buggers off first chance it gets but he just sort he'll of, leave it on the base of the wine glass this, on the on the box and yeah it won't it won't jump off it won't yeah it's happy there away. isn't it um yeah yeah mice uh one more in the sort of rodent category this isn't again this isn't a real mouse but i feel we have to mention uh rocky raccoon which, although not invented by David Williamson, certainly made very famous by him, and his routine is, is incredibly funny, and, it, and it's a wonderful prop, there's mm. lots you can do with it. Um, I felt it deserved a mention. I agree. I think puppetry is the right way mm. of doing animals in theatre. I think, full stop, because it's... The rules of theatre are still applying. You're not snapping it out by bringing nature and the mm. outside world in. You're keeping in the world of theatre. So, like, Rocky Raccoon, or Lion King... Or whatever it would be. Yeah, and the elephant in. Did you see 1903? Circus 1903? I did yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like the elephant in that mm. is just as exciting as if if they brought a real elephant out. Mm. And, and, and you believe it, right? That's, yeah. the, that's the beauty of puppetry. I, I, used to, and, um, yeah. I used to do puppetry when I was, I was a bit younger, um, and I love it. And people do go with it. They believe it. Anyone that can believe in magic and play along with that for an hour will also play along with the puppetry. And and, and like with Rocky Raccoon, I mean, there's various moments where, um, like he, he says something about hurting the animal and, and it will, its head will flick to, to look at David. And, and obviously that's all orchestrated by him and created by him. But with a regular animal, you can't get those beats and those perfect mm. movements to create the dramatic tension. And Yeah, it's brilliant. 
Yay. Rocky Raccoon, which is a, a spring a spring raccoon. Mm. But yeah, very good. Yeah. Very good by David Williamson. We like that. And that's your lot, is it? That's that's pretty much it from me, yeah. That's it from you. Ed Kane, any more animals? Well, I didn't have a list anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> my list was... Yeah, dubs. We've been away. through my list of animals. Well, I think we've done very well with the most iconic yeah. animals from the world of magic and circus. Mm. And circus. Neil, is that your list of all your favourite animals done? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah. Well, like, I mean, all animals are amazing. But yeah, that's, that's a good... Yeah. I could say otters again. Cause <laughs> otters. Otters. Fantastic. Well, oh, we should probably do um, very quickly. Neil, if people want to find out more about you, how can they do this? Um... My name is Neil Kelso. You type that into the Googles or the Instagrams or the Facebooks or the tweets, and there I am. Neil okay. Kelso. Anything exciting happening at the moment, Neil? Uh, Anything you're working on? Uh, no, no, just shows running and running. I'll be at the Edinburgh Fringe this year. I don't know when this is going out. Edinburgh Fringe. It'll be before then, I'm sure. 2019. Yeah. Um, I'm hosting lots of cabarets. That's a big burlesque show in a Spiegel tent and a big cabaret and... Yeah, I'll tweet you the infos. And the House of Q? The House of Q is regularly visible at Theatre Delhi, which is a very exciting place in London. Uh, we do a free monthly show, which is monthly and free and cabaret and fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, just find me on the socials and I've put the things on there of what's going on. Uh, Mark Watson, how do we discern between you and... <laughs> the more popular Mark Watson. Uh, you can find me cool. at Man of Mischief. Uh, you can also find me at the Edinburgh Fringe this year. Uh, I'm doing Man of Mischief Presents Living the Dream, a totally brand new show. But yeah, search for Man of Mischief. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter. Just don't follow me home. Um... Fantastic. Guys, thank you very much. Yay! Thank you for listening to Talking Tricks with Cade and Abel. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast.